Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. Well, amen. Great worship this morning. Amen. And God is so good. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles or your devices to the book of Revelation. It is the bookend on the right. And uh, you, last week was our first message in this series uh, called What's Next? And if you missed last week, I want you to uh, go online, watch the video, listen to the podcast, because I don't want you to get behind. I don't want you to miss what God wants to say to the church today from a word written 2,000 years ago uh, to the church. And so uh, last week we launched into this thing, and, and the central figure, we, in that video it kind of, it, it, it talks about, it pointed to the fact that there's things that people uh, believe that the book of the Revelation is about, the beast, the antichrist, religion, uh, government, uh, rises and falls and tribulations and vials and bowls and judgments, and it does include that. But the central theme and the central figure of the book of the Revelation is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. In fact, Jesus is the central theme of the whole inerrant, infallible, forever book called the Bible. All 66 books. If you read Genesis through Revelation and you don't see Jesus in every book, read it again because he is the theme. He is the figure. He is the pinnacle or the apex of the whole book. Well, this week uh, we're going to move forward and the title of the message is this, Storm Shelter, storm, shelter. Now, what, what's going to happen in these next four verses, verses four through eight of chapter one, is God is going to do like a 100,000 foot flyby. He's going to take a panoramic view of what's going to happen. Because listen, what's going to happen in chapters four through 19 is devastating. It's scary. It's a little unusual. It's kind of weird sometimes. But I want you to know today, if you are part of the blood-bought, the redeemed, those who are saved, believers in Jesus Christ, children of God rescued through Jesus, if you're part of the church, if that's you, you don't have to worry about what happens in 4 through 19. Now, there's a lot of people in this world who interpret the book of Revelation to believe that we as a church have to go through the tribulation. Your pastor, this pastor, does not believe that. And I want you to see today is the first hint. If there's not, there's more hints uh, in the New Testament other than Revelation, but we'll see the first hint of, of, of why I believe emphatically that the church is removed from the tribulation. So in verses four through eight, let's read. It says, from John to the seven churches that are in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from he who is and was and who is still to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness and the firstborn from among the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth to the one who loves us and has set us free from our sins at the cost of his own blood and has appointed us a kingdom as priest serving his God and father to him be the glory and the power forever and ever Amen. Verse 7, look, he is returning with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. This will certainly come to pass. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, the one who was, and the one who still is to come, the all 
powerful. Now we live in a world of rapid fire disaster. There's never been more earthquakes on this globe than there are right now. And it's not just like there were earthquakes in the past, you know, a dozen and now there's 15. I mean, it is just escalating, escalating all the time, more and more natural disasters. Included in that is earthquakes. Included in that is tornadoes and typhoons and monsoons. Uh, Included in that are wildfires. I mean, I don't tell you that to scare you. I just tell you that you ought to already know it. And you don't have to look far or listen long to know that that's a reality in this world that we live on. Now, uh, what happens is in all of that, there are those who will cry out a warning. They'll say, take shelter, find peace, find safety, because there's, uh, there's something big going on. And I just want to tell you, there is an eschatological end-time storm that is brewing, and it is absolutely 100% imminent, meaning it will happen, meaning there's nothing left on the prophetic calendar that has to be accomplished or has to unfold before this end-time event takes place. Nothing. So the question is, are you, are you ready for that? Is, are you, is there a shelter for that? How can you be prepared for such a day? Because that day will come. There's a whole world that wants to predict the future when it comes to cataclysmic events. And, and, it, and this week, you saw it, okay? You could turn on the news and, man, who are they talking about? Florence. What a name for somebody that's going to come in and devastate the coast. Flo, come on, okay? And if you live in the Philippines, I have a daughter and a son-in-law in the Philippines, and they had a typhoon over there. It was, it was supposed to be the greatest, the biggest typhoon that's ever hit that, uh, the, the Philippine Islands, okay? So we're watching this thing. We didn't, we, we didn't tell my mother-in-law that because she would have been freaking out, calling us, you know, are they, are they in the middle of the typhoon? Okay, we didn't do that, okay? But we watched it, and they have all of these tools to, uh, and devices to determine what the future looks like. They have Doppler radar, satellite imaging. They have uh, software modeling systems, so you put all that in there. And when it's all said and done, they will tell you, man, this thing's coming. This thing is coming. You better get ready. And about nine out of 10 times, they were totally wrong. Okay. Let me tell you what it looks like. And we respond to it. The East Coast, man, they're just driving it. And they should. They should take cover, find shelter. But let me tell you how we respond to somebody who's giving you a foretelling of what the weather looks like tomorrow. Let me tell you how we respond. East Tennessee. Tomorrow, there's going to be a major storm, major snowstorm. Okay, it is coming. Look at this Doppler radar. We got it right here. We've done all the models. We're having a major storm tomorrow. We're expecting, we're forecasting an estimated one half inch. So get everything ready. Okay, and you know what you do? You load the car or you send your husband straight down here to the Kroger or the Walmart so you can buy the last half gallon of milk that's going bad in two days, okay? You buy the last stale loaf of bread. You buy whatever it is because you, half inch is coming, okay? And, and here in East Tennessee, it's really, it really is hard to predict. When we moved back up here from Alabama, we were so tickled because when the girls were, Kelsey was in middle school, Caitlin was in high school, they called out school because of heavy rains, and, and I remember I told somebody from East Tennessee, and I'm from here, but I told somebody, I said, I'm going to be honest with you. It rained hard in Alabama. We had tornadoes all the time, but they never called off school for rain. And I said it just like that. And there was a guy standing there. He goes, that's because you don't have Heinz's Creek. I said, you don't have Heinz's Creek. You're not even saying that right. Okay. Yeah, I didn't have a Heinz's Creek. In Alabama, 
They would have tornadoes all the time. They were just, they were everywhere. And Caitlin and Kelsey reminded me of tornado drills in Alabama. This is so funny, only in Alabama. Okay, they would not let out school for a tornado. Okay, what they would do is all the classrooms would be released. They would sit in the hall with a hardback book over their head, like a helmet. Like that's going to stop a steel beam? I don't know. Okay, and they would sit there for hours like little soldiers with a book on their head. And so, yeah, Alabama, give you know, give them props on that. That's serious right there. Don't go home, put a book on your head, you'll be fine. Okay. Now, now we always respond to this, but listen to me, uh, Matt Hinkin. I think it says now he's a good dude. He don't know the future. Okay, neither do any of the rest of them. They got models. There is this book right here. The infallible, inerrant, forever word of God. And it has never been wrong before, and it will never be wrong in the future. Because it is authored, it is penned, it is, it, it is inspired by the God who wrote the end and knew the end before the beginning ever began. Okay? That's how he knows. And, and we're going to see that today. And so if you want to know what the future holds, if you want to know what's next, get this book out and read it. Now, we're going to be talking about that as we move forward. So let's keep going. All right? The first thing I want you to know is today's message is called Storm Shelter. And the first thing I want you to know is what is the storm shelter? God has a storm shelter for this, for this imminent storm that's brewing. And it's called the church. Look at your neighbor and say, the church is God's shelter for me. Now he says in verse four, I'll remind you, he says, from John to the seven churches that are in the province of Asia. Now Asia Minor is modern day Turkey. It's a real place and there were real churches. We will talk about those churches in chapters two and three. These seven churches, although, is, they're not the only church or churches that this letter is written to, okay? Now, it sounds like he's saying, okay, I got the information for you, seven churches. Number eight, sorry, this ain't for you, okay? Now, why is there seven? Why not six churches of Asia Minor, modern Turkey? Why not eight? Why not ten? Because seven in the Jewish numerology is a symbol for completion or perfection, and, and it started in Genesis, and it go, carries all the way through eternity. Seven is the number for completion. Jesus, uh, God created everything in six days, and it was completely rested on the seventh day. It carries all the way up in here. He's saying, listen, to the complete, to the perfect church, I have a word for you of what the future holds. Now, you remember last week we talked about the fact that there's people who scoff and say, well, you know, Jesus said he's coming back. God prophesied it. This book was written 2,000 years ago, and he hadn't come back yet. And they scoff, and they scoff, and they scoff. And Peter responded to that, and he says, listen, God's not slow, as some of you count slowness. God is only patient and willing that none perish, but that all come to eternal life. And we talked about the fact that there's one person out there on God's eternal timeline who is the last person to receive Christ, the last person to complete the church, and then Jesus will come back and get his church. And I don't know who that is. I I would like to think that they're in here today, and, and he's just waiting on you, okay? And when you get saved, bam, we're gone. I just like that. You may not like that, but I like that. You know, I know where I'm going. I'm okay, okay? Now, here's here's the thing. Seven is this is this mystical number, and it just means complete. In fact, listen to this. The number seven appears in this book of Revelation alone, over 50 
times. Listen to just a few of these. There's seven churches and seven letters and seven spirits and seven lampstands. Seven stars and seven seals, seven horns and seven eyes. Seven angels, seven trumpets, seven thunders and seven thousand people. There's seven heads and seven crowns and seven plagues and seven bowls. There's seven hills and seven kings and seven visions. God is saying something about completion in this book. And it is imminent. It will happen. Look at your neighbor and say, it will happen. Look at your neighbor and say, and he has given us a shelter. Now, as as we see this reality of this storm, this eschatological end time storm brewing, I just want you to know today that there's a shelter for you, okay? And I just think it's really kind of neat that God, in writing this book, would want to impart some good news before they finish reading the rest of this book. Had he started in chapter 4, the church would have said, oh, me, you know, this is bad news, okay? He doesn't do that. He lays the groundwork. He builds a foundation for him to reveal the things that are going to happen to this world. So the first thing is the church is God's storm shelter, and we get to choose whether we're going to get in it or whether we're not. And, and let me just paint a picture. of This is not the first time. You remember the first time that calamity came on this earth of judgment? It was in the days of Noah. You remember what Jesus said? I'll tell you when all this is going to happen. He said, it'll be like the days of Noah. People will be eating and drinking and being married and giving in marriage, and, and they won't see this day coming. But then when the door closes and the rains begin to fall and the, the globe is engulfed in water, they'll know then that it happened. And, and he, he talks about there were people who Noah preached for 100 years while he's building this boat, and only his family was spared from the flood. And in the New Testament, in the Revelation, when, when, when God sends Jesus back for his church, the door will be closed in that moment, and there will be those on the outside who will see it happen. Now, yet they won't get in the shelter. Number two, not only is there a shelter, but there's provision in this shelter. In Alabama, the other thing that they did is they would sell these uh, storm cellars, and they were like fiberglass. They were round, okay, had a couple of seats in there, and they had a little hatch you could get through and an air hole. And you would dig a hole, bury it in your backyard. Storm came, you'd get in this hole. Now, I'm claustrophobic. I'm just telling you, if you're going to put a cellar in the ground, it's going to have to have like 1,500 feet, okay? I'm not going underground in a little, in a little sphere with my family or, or you or anybody else. I, you know, I just have to get sucked up in a tornado. I know where I'm going. It's fine. I would rather get sucked up in a tornado than smothered to death in a cellar, okay? Just me. But there's provision in this shelter. Now, listen to the provision. Um, he says of all of the things that he could have offered as provision for this storm shelter, of all the things he could have said. He says, hey, grace and peace to you. This is good. This is good. He says, I'm going to tell you the most important thing you need to know in preparing for this end time uh, catastrophe, for this tribulation period, and it's this, grace and peace. Grace is the Greek word charis. Peace is the Greek word irene. And he's saying, Karis and Irene for you. Now, here's the deal. If you are in grace, you don't have to worry about it. If you are under the shed blood of Jesus, if you had, have received God's grace gift into your life, unmerited favor, that's what that means. It means that I, your pastor, was a sinful, absolute disaster of a wreck, separated from a holy, righteous, perfect God. And God looked down and said, you see that wreck right there? I love that wreck. 
All right? And I'm going to send my righteousness in Jesus, my perfection in Jesus, and I'm going to offer that to that wreck. And as a 10-year-old boy, this wreck said, that's a good plan right there. I will take Jesus. And Jesus came into my life. I'm under grace. I've been under grace since I was 10 years old. Okay, I'll be under grace a billion years from now, and you or me or the devil himself cannot remove me from being under the grace of God because it is what he did for me, not what I did for me. What I did for me just put a need for God to do what he did for me. Well, that's good. I don't know if you understood it, but it spoke to my soul. Okay, now, here's what happened. He says, grace and peace to you. Now, let me tell you something about grace and peace. They travel together all the time. Paul talked about grace and peace. Uh, Peter talked about grace and peace. John talked about grace and peace. It's like they roll, they, they run side by side. They travel together. Here's why, okay? Grace speaks to God's view of you when you're saved. When God sees me, he doesn't see me for me. He sees me looking through Jesus, hanging on a cross and rising from the dead. Right now in this moment, when he sees me, he says, that's Joel. He's right there. You don't see him? Oh, he's right there behind Jesus, okay? And that's where I'll stay for all of eternity, okay? And you can't change that, and I can't change that because I've received it, and he sealed me with his Holy Spirit, and so I'm fixed in time in Jesus. The second part of that grace and peace is our relationship with ourself, our fellow man, and God in response to grace. Now, here's the deal. Nobody can rob you or steal you or move you from grace, but you can let the devil rob you of your peace. It's why when you look around in the church sometimes, saved, headed to heaven, born again in Jesus, and yet their face looks like they just murdered their mama. You say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I don't think so. I ain't judging. I'm just judging the countenance, okay? So sometime when you get up, on Sunday morning's a good example do a little facelift, look in the mirror and say, what, what am I going to convey to the preacher? Because sometimes it's quite scary. I would invite you to try this one time and look at what looks like people who are headed to hell. <laughs> that look, I say everywhere, okay? There's weeping and gnashing of teeth just radiating from your face, okay? Listen, if you are under grace... Peace should come with that, and it should just swell up in your soul. And it should, no matter what happens, I am under grace, and I've got peace. Just, just yesterday, I, I, we finished building our house. We moved in. It's awesome. We love it. And I was trying to get my yard in and the bushes in for this uh, before Florence showed up to water my yard. And, 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 I, and I got it in, but it was about 90 degrees, and I was working hard. I was sweaty down to my underwear. You know what I'm saying? It was bad. And Kendra, being the encourager that she is, okay, she pulled in. Now, day four yesterday, she, she was like a, she was like the Holy Spirit moved in her heart. She brought me a big old Gatorade day four. And I was like, no, you didn't. I love you so much. She brought me a big Gatorade. Yesterday, she didn't bring me a big Gatorade. Yesterday, she pulled up. And I mean, I'm right in the middle. I'm so I'm hot. It was hot. And she said, hey, Joel, I had to drop what I was doing. I walked up. I said, yeah. She said, are you okay? You look terrible. I'm well, thank you, Jesus, for the encouragement. And you can ask her. Here's what I said to her. She said, are you, she said, are, are you young enough to be working like this? <laughs> You're just full of encouragement, aren't you? Okay. So I told her, so help me. I've been studying this. I'm out there working in the yard, just, just praying, just talking to the Lord about revelation. And I said, you know what? If I have a stroke today, I'm going straight to heaven. 
okay? It's win-win. If you know you're under grace, then no matter how bad a day you're having, no matter how encouraging your spouse might be, okay, when the Lord calls you out, no matter what happens, I got peace like a river, all right? And it's just flowing through my soul. And so Paul said, to live is Christ and to die, shoo, that's all the better. It's gain. And so that's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, I got some bad news coming. I got a cataclysmic eschatological storm brewing, and you can mark this down because it's written in this book. It is coming. And so before you get reading too deep in it, I want to tell you this, grace and peace. If you're under grace, don't worry about it. You should have peace even when you read 4 through 19. All right. You say, well, what about this whole thing about grace? I I just think I can lose my salvation. Well, you can lose yours if you want to. I cannot lose mine. All right. In fact, listen to what it says in John 10, verse 28. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Not convinced? Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, or height, or depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can lose yours if you want to. I can't lose mine. Told me right there. Okay? Amen? Amen. Now, let's keep going. Number three, there's a shelter and it's the church. There's a provision, it's grace and peace that gets you in the shelter and gives you peace through it all. Number uh Number three, well, that's number two. I got that. That's one A and one B. Okay, number two now, how, where does this come from? He's going to give it a stamp of approval. He's going to give it a, uh, he's going to autograph it with where this thing's come for, thing comes from and why you can trust it with everything you have. The first thing he says is, uh, this is from he who is, who was, and who is still to come. You see, God is a timeless God. He is outside the time continuum. He created time for you and for me, for us to do life with. But he's outside of it. So what happened before time began and what happens after time as we know it ceases to exist and what happens in this very millisecond that we're in, God sees it all at the same time. He's not worried about it and he's not surprised about it. You see, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, and God gave him the rule, just stay away from the one forbidden true tree. He, he didn't go back to heaven and say, okay, we got that foundation laid. They know what to do. And then all of a sudden, here comes Eve, naked, waltzing up to Adam. Hey, big boy, you want an apple? And Adam's like, yeah, okay. It's not like in heaven. Did y'all, I didn't see that coming. I, didn't see, I thought we did better than that. Look, I didn't see that. He, he saw it coming. He saw Satan in the garden. He saw the fall. He spinned the table forward and saw Jesus being beaten and crucified on a wooden cross for the sin that began in that garden. He wasn't surprised. He saw it all as if it was happening right now. Listen to this. And he saw forward some 2,000 years to this event in Revelation that hadn't happened yet where Jesus comes back to get his church and the dead in Christ are raised first and these, those of us that remain are caught up in the air with him. He sees that too and he writes it and he is telling us, listen, this is who it comes from. First of all, 
the Father. We got a good, good Father in heaven. Amen? Okay? Now, he brings it on down, and he says, it's not just the Father. He says, but number three, the Spirit. Now, it's kind of worded weird. If you don't, if you don't look at it uh, contextually, you might miss it. It says, and from, he says, from the one who was and is and was and has been, Okay, was, is, and will be. Okay, he says it's from him, that'd be the Father. And then he says, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now you gotta ask yourself, yourself a question. Are there seven spirits? And the answer is emphatically, no. There is one spirit of God. Well, then what does he mean? We've already covered the number seven. Seven means what? Perfect and complete. It is the plenitude, the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I want to rephrase that because I want, some people still struggle with God, the three parts of God. It's the Father, God, the Holy Spirit, God, Jesus, the Son, God. All three part of the Godhead, okay? I just want you to understand that. And you won't let me back up. I just want you to know that. You'll never fully understand it. So in this Trinity, okay, in the triunity of God, okay, there's the Spirit of God, the seven spirits, the fullness and completion of God. Isaiah 2 helps us unpack the seven descriptions of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 2, this is what we find out. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of strength, the Spirit of knowledge, the Spirit of the fear of of the Lord. That's the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, this is what's cool. When you got saved, the reason if you are, the reason you're going to be in this shelter, the storm shelter for the coming uh, disaster is because God chose it that way, that he offered you hope and salvation. Number two, when you received it, the Holy Spirit sealed you with what's called a a down payment or an earnest. It's, the, it's just part of the Holy Spirit. And, and I can't see it on you. You can't see it on me. But when God looks at me, he sees the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm in the Holy Spirit. I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit, God. Now, that is just too cool. That is just too cool. And, and, and some of us just need to own that. Some of us need to say, you know what? I'm born again. Holy Spirit has sealed me. I need to walk and let him guide my steps. So you got the Father. You got the Spirit. They've both authenticated and ordained this shelter. Number three, there, uh, number four, there's the Savior. Jesus is the one who built the storm shelter. You remember what Jesus said uh, about the church? He said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell shall not prevail against the church that I'm going to build. That's why it's, that's one of the most encouraging verses in all the Bible for a pastor. Because on the Sunday when about half y'all decide, you know, you had more important things to do, like clip your toenails or clean out the sock drawer. And I'm here with a, you know, with a remnant. Okay. And I'm like, Lord, what's happening to the church? Have I done something wrong? And all the while God's like, it's my church. I'm going to send who I want to be there on a Sunday. You just preach. You just be faithful what I called you to do, and I'll build my church. And I said, well, okay, that's fair enough. I'll let you do it. You're real good at doing what you say you're going to do. Now, Jesus is the one who built, is building this shelter. Now, some people struggle with, with this concept, that Jesus came along as a son 2,000 years into the program. Uh, excuse me, uh, 4,000 years into the program, uh, he just shows up, that God said, okay, Jesus, be there, you know, 
And, and there he was. Jesus was at the foundation of this earth. The Holy Spirit was at the foundation of this earth. God the Father was at the foundation of this earth. In fact, spin back eternity past, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have always been there. Now, I can't wrestle that down and drive a stake of understanding in it, and neither can you, but that's what his counsel tells us. You see, at creation, the Bible says that the the earth was formless and void, and God said, so God is there, and he began to speak life onto this planet. And then it says the Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, began to blow and hover like a hen and brew over, brood over this earth, and things began to happen. And then God said, let there be light. Well, there was no sun, there was no moon, no stars. I believe that's Jesus who is the light of the world. He came into it, and he began to, to speak over it. And listen, in the New Testament, it tells us that everything was created by him, Jesus, for him, Jesus, and through him, Jesus. That's that's good good news. Now, John isn't content just to say from Jesus Christ, okay? He's got to go on a little further, and and he's going to throw in some, some verbiage. And he says, first of all, I want you to know this Jesus is the faithful witness. Listen, Jesus on this planet demonstrated the fullness of the, uh, the fullness of the attitude and the affection and the desires and the nature of God the Father. Jesus was God with a bod, right? He shows up and he demonstrated the full nature of God. That's what he did. That's what he did. And then he goes on. He was a full, he, he, he testified completely about his father. The second thing he says, not only that, he's the firstborn from among the dead. He's the first one fully resurrected. Now, some people want to argue about this. They say, well, he's not the first one resurrected. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. You know, there was people who were resurrected in the New Testament. He's not the first one. (laughs) There's a problem with those other people who got resurrected. It, It ain't really that good to be resurrected in the New Testament, in the Gospels, because you had to die again, all right? They had to go through what people dread twice, all right? Not Jesus. He's resurrected forever, he is true and living even today. So he is the first among many who were resurrected from the dead. Number three, he says, not only that, oh, I like this. He says he is the ruler of over the kings of the earth. The ruler over the kings of the earth. He, he's not the ruler in the future over the kings of the earth. He's the ruler now. He's been crowned in glory in heaven, and it will be demonstrated, and the people on this earth will understand he's the king above all kings. They'll see that in the future, but he's already the king of glory. Now, I just got a confession to make. When I was in high school, college, the church and culture was kind of swinging to to in a negative way, and the church had gotten very feminized, and I don't mean that, I don't mean that bad in terms of I'm against women. But men had just kind of gotten passive about the greatness of the gospel and the glory of God. And they kind of washed their hands. Women were on the rise. I want to do stuff in the church. I want to, men were like, okay, go ahead. I don't want to do it anyway. All right, so they passed off, passed the buck. Next thing you know, the church is led by a lot of women. Nothing wrong with women. If it wasn't for women, the church would probably collapse. Thank you, women. Amen, 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 brother Joel. If you're married and you didn't say that, you, you ain't getting lunch, all right? Now, here's the deal. So for a young man... You would hear a preacher who would preach a very soft gospel, a very soft Jesus, a very feminized Jesus. And so 
when I was in high school and college, I am ashamed to say that when I would speak the name of Jesus, it would be just kind of Jesus. It's kind of soft. You know, the, the world wanted to say, it's Jesus. Kind of just soft. It's Jesus. No, it ain't Jesus. Okay? It's Jesus. Amen? I didn't know it. I did not know, I didn't catch that because I was being taught that his name is Jesus and Savior of the world. No, he is Jesus, God, God's very own son who came to this earth to rescue the likes of me. And if there were no others, he saved me. And because of that, he sent his spirit into my soul to empower me to live and proclaim the name of Jesus. Amen. That's good. And he is the king of the universe. In fact, Philippians 2, 9 and 11 says, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen, Brother Joel. So, 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 so listen. Maybe you live in that little soft, mamby-pamby, Jesus-y world, okay? Embarrassed or ashamed to, to call on his name, the name above all names, the name that there's power to cast out demons, power to change and ransom and rescue a soul. So let's just practice. Count of three, I want you to say Jesus. One, two, three. Jesus. I don't think God was impressed. I think he was waiting right there. Man, this is it. They're going to erupt. Let's try it again. One, two, three. Oh, man, that's so good, right? Listen, you have no idea in the spiritual world, the unseen world, you have no idea what the demons of hell just did when you cried out Jesus' name. Man, they hid. They're on the run. That's what happens at the name. So John's saying, listen, listen, grace and peace to you. I got a shelter. I got provision. And, and now I've got, uh, it, it, it's signed and sealed by God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus the Son. Now, now let's keep going. Not only that, now John is going to kind of define or put a, a bow on it and wrap up what this thing looks like. I call it the rescue. The shelter is the rescue center to save you from calamity and disaster. So John starts talking, and he says, to the one who loves you and has set us free from our sins at the cost of his own blood, and he has appointed us a kingdom as priests serving his God and Father. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, this is funny. This, is funny. this ain't got nothing to do with encouraging your heart about what's getting ready to come. He just got excited because he got talking about the Father. He got talking about the Spirit. He got talking about the Son. He just had to throw a little worship on right here. All right? He just had to get the worship on right here. And, and he's not alone. Paul does it, John does it, Peter does it, the disciples did it. When you, listen, when you really capture the idea of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit choosing to love unlikely, unlovable you, when you get that, you get your worship on. It, 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 it comes from your soul. 
it just begins to swell up. And there's a whole lot of people good at containing it. They got some lip lock right here and ain't nothing coming out. I've seen you in worship. Joe looks at you every week. You know what I'm saying? I will not sing a word. Okay? And the whole, whole time God is saying, seriously, all I've done for you, you won't even open your mouth to sing a song. Okay? Hmm. All right, so there's a rescue. There's a rescue that's provided, and this rescue is found in the blood of Jesus. I think here's what happened. Here's why John got so kind of worked up. Because when you read the book of the Revelation, he keeps saying, I, John, to the, I, John, to the. I think it dawns on him. This is just old John here. This is disciple John. This is just the one who Jesus picked to come and follow him. This is the one, sure, the scripture says Jesus loved me more than the rest, and that's kind of a cool accolade. But now I'm on this island, and I thought I was forgotten, and I'm standing in the presence of God getting the future. And I believe he thought, you know, he didn't wait and give that to Billy Graham. He didn't wait and give it to Billy Sunday. He he didn't give it to uh, Johnny Hunt. He didn't give it to Stephen Furtick. He gave it to just old John. And I think he's like, seriously, God? You picked me out of today would be 7 billion people on the planet, and everybody wants to say you're just one in 7 billion. And all the while God's saying, not you. You're one of a stinking kind. I made you with a purpose and a plan. And you have no idea the greatness of what I placed in you while you were yet in your mother's womb. And the minute you tap into that, look out. I'm writing a new story in your life. And I'm going to use you to invite people into this storm shelter. The last thing I want you to see then is the end. Now, here's what I want to help you understand why I believe, and I think you can be and safe to believe this, that the church is not going through the wrath and the tribulation and the judgment of God. The end. He says in verse 7 now, after saying all that, he says, Now look, he is returning, Jesus, with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes on the earth will mourn because of him. This will certainly come to pass. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is and who was and who is still to come, the all-powerful. You say, well, what does that have to do with church not going through it? It says, every eye will see him. Every eye will not see Jesus when he comes back for the church. He comes like a thief in the night, in the twinkling of an eye, which is not a flash. It's the speed of light flashing across the eye. Everybody won't see him come. They'll just notice there's a lot of people not here, all right? He doesn't come all the way to the earth. He stops in the clouds, and he, he catches the church away. He's talking about here the second coming, where he comes to establish his rule and his reign for a 1,000 years. And you know what I like about that? It says that all who see him will mourn. I am not mourning for the return of Christ. 
I'm rejoicing, man, when I see the Jesus, the King of glory who died on a cross to rescue somebody like me. Man, I ain't crying. I am celebrating. I'm laughing. I, I'm in the game. It's good times for the believer. Amen. Amen, Brother Joel. Now, 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 this, this is what's cool. They're going to see him come, and he's not coming alone the second time. First time he came alone into a virgin womb, okay, in a little town called Bethlehem, born in a stable, few wise men and shepherds, okay. When he comes the next time, he's not coming alone. He's bringing the saints with him, those who he's already taken away. And while we've done everything that happens in heaven, he's going to come back to this earth to rule and reign for a 1,000 years. And I was thinking about it, all right. Man, I hate the devil, I hate him. If you hate the devil, say, I hate him too. Good, I'm glad I'm not the only one, all right? Well, you know what? There's a day coming when we get to experience the total, absolute defeat and annihilation of the enemy. And, and let, me, let me tell you, it's kind of funny. Uh, last week at the Anderson County Clinton football game, there was a little squirmish, a little disagreement among coaches. You might have seen it on TV. And one of the coaches from Clinton is Randy McCamey. I mean, he's just, you know, average size guy to the small side. And then there's Russ Gillum, who's like Amazon man. He's like eight feet tall, weighs 280 pounds. And in the picture, you know, he's like, and they're doing this. And, 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 the, and two of the coaches had Randy McCamey's arms, or maybe it was police officers, had his arm. And my mother-in-law said, look at Randy. He's on that video. He was wanting to fight that guy. I said, no, no, no. Let me tell you the last instruction he said to them guys. Do not let me go. He will kill me. Do not let me go. Okay? And so I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that. And, and when we come back with Jesus, I, I can see me because I'm just about dumb. I can see me running ahead of Jesus. Yeah, come on. Bring it. You know, and Jesus right behind me. Yeah, get out to Jesus. Go. You know? And that's what we're going to do. It's going to be victorious. We're going to be conquering the enemies. He's going to take this world by force. He's going to establish a kingdom, and we rule and reign for a 1,000 years before he starts all over again. It's good. It's good. So you say, what, what does that have to do with me? Okay. This week, there was Hurricane uh, Florence. And this week, there was Typhoon somebody in the Philippines, the worst, going to be the worst that they've ever had. And I have a daughter over there, and and, and I'm glad people are checking and looking at the weather and warning people of devastation that is imminent. And I'm glad they're calling them out to take refuge and to evacuate and to find shelter and to make provisions and preparations. But people respond to that pretty well, you know? And here today, we have the greatest telling of the future that's ever been given. And it is never wrong. It's 100% correct, 100% of the time. And for all of eternity, we will rejoice in the reality of that truth. But here's what happened. A happens. A preacher stands up here and preaches his living guts out about the love of Jesus, the sinfulness of man, about a very hot hell, and about an amazing, glorious heaven waiting if we just choose to be under grace. And people refuse to take heed and seek shelter. They live their lives in this little religious circle. I am a Christian nominally by name. I said a little prayer. I went to church some. My papa was a preacher, 
My mamaw kept the nursery. I give some offerings sometimes. I'm good. Meanwhile, there's a storm coming. And if you're not in the shelter, you're in big, big trouble. Number two, we have a church full of people who have been given this great commission and this mission to take the truth of the gospel and to be burdened about a world out there that are outside the shelter of the church in Jesus' name. And they won't tell anybody about this amazing gift of grace that they found themselves in. So today we find ourselves, we're in one of two places, every single one of us, myself included, either we're outside the shelter playing games in need of finding refuge in the shelter for the storm that's coming. And that shelter is called the church. It's, it's, it's in it you find grace and peace as provision. It's authenticated and sealed by the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And there we are forever safe. And you can be there today if you're not. And I'm not asking you to bow your head or anything. I'm looking at you straight on. I want you to look at me. You can find me. I've got the fuchsia shirt on. All right? Here's the deal. There's a God who created you. And he loves you right where you are. He could not love you more tomorrow than he loves you today, regardless of any decision or any activity that you do today. He cannot love you more because his love is not, does not hinge on your goodness. His love hinges on his greatness and the fact that he is love. And so maybe you're here. I want to tell you, if the Holy Spirit speak, has spoken to your heart that you're not in the shelter, that you're not saved, don't you walk away from this room and not receive the grace gift of Jesus and the peace that follows. You better nail that down because it's imminent. And it could happen after this little shower that's happening right now. Maybe you're here and you're already in a shelter. You're born again. You're a child of God and you know it. He sealed you with his Holy Spirit of promise. And, but you are less than concerned about a lost and dying world. I want the Holy Spirit of God to convict your heart, church, if you hadn't led somebody personally to Jesus ever or in the last week, I want the Holy Spirit to convict your heart to get real about a world that's outside the shelter. And in the moment, in the twinkling of the eye, when all this happens, their chances will be over. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as the worship team comes up.